Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Peyton. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show, The Midnight Club. Today we are covering the fourth episode titled, Give Me a Kiss. This was an interesting episode, I thought, this week. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so, thought it was pretty good. We're almost at the halfway point, too, so we're uh, really kind of getting dang. there. What you, do you think about this week's? I actually really liked it. Um, again, of oh. course, this show, I really enjoyed it. Again, this show just wants to keep dealing with themes and situations that <laughs> uh, make me feel certain ways and things. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is great. It's great to, you know, really dive into those themes and look at them through different lenses and through different viewpoints and kind of with the horror and the stories and things like that. I think that's really cool. Of course, it's going to get me all in my feels. Mm-hmm. Get me crying, as Mike Flanagan likes to do. So <laughs> I know. He's good at that. He is good at that. If you need a good cry, just go watch one of uh, Mike Flanagan's series and mm-hmm. that should do the trick, I think, for yeah. some. So <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. There I, I thought this was um a really great episode. Thought there were a lot of um great emotional uh things happening in the episode um that, you know, certainly stirred some feelings and some strong feelings for sure and some sweet feelings uh as well. So it, it it was a good one. And man, hard not to like keep going. They they're doing a really good job each episode so far really ending it like <sighs> yeah. right in the middle of a freaking like cliffhanger and yeah. um every week of course like on my like first watch which is usually right <laughs> after we've recorded the previous <laughs> yeah. one then it ends and i'm like really again thanks thanks for that <laughs> yep yep we keep it interesting around here doing week to week <laughs> but yeah luckily though as we've said many times lots of good tv to uh to fill that gap until uh, the next week when you get to watch. But yeah, yeah, I, I remember thinking, no, 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 no. Are you kidding me? Uh, and having to like scramble to find the remote to uh, mm-hmm. keep it from progressing to the next episode. But um, yeah. that's okay. It's a sad moment where credits come up and I'm just like, and Roku home button. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Moving on, contemplating the episode, and bummed Ooh. that we can't move on to the next at least until um, at least until night. But at least we're recording a day earlier than what we have been. Now that yeah. House of the Dragon is over, and um, which is sad as its own, right? I'm, it is. I didn't know what to do Sunday night. I still had Walking Dead, but like I get home from work on Sunday, and I was like, I don't get to visit Westeros. <laughs> it's it's been a bummer. I feel like those ten weeks went by so fast. Yeah, I've I've definitely got a huge gap in my world on Sundays mm-hmm. now, not having the episode, and then spending all my free time on Monday after I get off work prepping. But yeah, really, really good episode um, this week. So let's go ahead and jump into our top points. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, I think I only have like four with some notes. I'm honestly, I feel like at this point, I feel like I was putting too much pressure on myself and maybe even on you to have like five. And I'm Hmm. just like, you know, I I feel like let's just have top points, whether it's three, four or five, whatever you have and some notes and not feel like pressured. Um, Uh Uh-huh. 
you know, to, to do that because I know that we've kind of struggled because the, the way that the episodes tend to flow, at least for me anyway, it's, it's really hard to, to get good solid, like five good solid points. Yeah. I struggle with it personally. So I'll speak for myself. Cool. Yeah, I've got the five this week, but they're mostly cool. like most of them really are just kind of like this one scene, this one conversation. <laughs> let me really dig into it. Yeah. yeah um. <laughs> well, you've been doing a really great job with the analysis and taking a deep dive into some of like the interactions or the stories, you know, happening. So, you know, I, I yeah. think you've done a really good job, you know, with that. Thanks. So I that appreciate definitely- that. I've- I feel like I put that pressure on myself because now like a story, I'll watch an episode and like they'll tell the story and then I'm like, oh God, I've got like a week to figure out what the hell this means. <laughs> like I've got to really think about it now. Like, oh man, what's... <laughs> well, doing a better job than me because you're definitely going in places that I hadn't even thought of. So mm-hmm. keep it up. I might have some of that this week too, but uh, again, a lot of it's speculation. I'm like, it could mean that. I could also just be like making that up and just putting connections where there are none, but... Sounds right to me. It seems to make some sense. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot up for interpretation, so I don't think there's really anything wrong. It's how you're mm-hmm. interpreting it, and I don't think yeah. that that's wrong by any means. I'm I'm sure there's you know lots of different ways that certain things and scenes or you know whatever interactions can be can be taken. So I don't think it's really any right or wrong way to do it. That's um, that's how you're taking it, and nothing wrong about that. So, well, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump in. What have you got um, to start us off with? All right. Um, Disclaimer, the opinions and views that you (laughs) will be hearing are those of I, Paik (laughs) Allen, and not necessarily the views and opinions of Strange Indeed or Rima or Podcastica. (laughs) No. uh, (laughs) Oh, we're going to go heavy uh, (laughs) straight away, huh? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's definitely some topics. I mean, those who listen to Midnight Mass know where I am on things. And this deals with a lot of religious uh, undertones and themes, and they're very important to the story. So I'm going to talk about them, and when I'm talking about them, I'm going to give my opinions on the way things play out. But as is a big theme and purpose of this episode, I am going to do my best to be respectful, yet honest. Uh, So... That's how that goes. So, uh, yeah. So the first one, I just want to talk about that awkward group therapy session and what all happened there, mm-hmm. um, and and my thoughts on that. Which the kind of the top of that before I get into really, it's Sandra and and Spence. Yeah. Um, before I get into that, just like off the top of that, a small note I noticed is the way that Stanton says, "Does anyone want to share what they were up to last night?" Uh, which I was like. <laughs> I have a feeling she's very, very aware of the Midnight Club and what's going on. I and, think so too. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's been a thing for so long as we've learned, you know, about you know, pretty much since this place has existed, the the patients have been doing it. To where I have a feeling the whole staff is probably very like in on it and knows what's going on, and they just allow it to be this like non secret secret tradition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like the the late night nursing staff would have to be you know, pretty dumb to not realize the kids are out sneaking around and not hear them lurking around the halls, hearing the elevator or whatever's they're coming or and going. screaming at each night. other's ghost stories from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you're, they're, they're going to catch on eventually. And honestly, I mean, what are you going to do? The, the kids mm-hmm. are all dying. They're in hospice. Are they really mm-hmm. doing any harm because they're getting up at midnight or just before midnight and sharing some scary stories and then going back to bed? 
I mean, they're not yeah. harming anyone. Let them have their fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let them have what little joy they have left in, in life for their, for their short time. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do um, or that they are aware. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. With the way that she said that, I was like, oh, she knows exactly what's she going totally on. totally knows. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, that's great. But, but yeah, so I'm just going to try to dive into it. Talk about it again. Lots of opinions, lots of feelings, but said, I'm, I'm going to try to be respectful and kind of, uh, you know, Sandra takes this moment here in group therapy to kind of try to convince the others. And she's speaking sort of in code a little bit that they need to just leave the basement and everything with it alone. It's not worth whatever was going on there. Whatever is like, just, just leave it alone because it's not going to go anywhere. Good. I feel like, or at least she feels like, and so that's, she's trying to kind of get that and that's fine. I totally get it. Uh, she then turns this into a, uh, proselytizing opportunity uh which again fine in certain circumstances but i have a feeling a lot of these kids especially spence has probably already told her hey don't do that Mm -hmm. uh it seems like they've had this conversation before in one way or another um so i kind of have the two trains of thought that i think are equally important and valid in my opinion with this sandra and spence situation at group therapy uh as much as it may not seem like it, and I have to like really get on myself about it too sometimes, I, I have no issue with some, someone believing in their religion, specifically Christianity in this case, you know, as long as they're not hurting anyone else. And sometimes that does kind of include pestering them when they've made it clear they're not interested, right? Like, mm-hmm. leave things alone. Um, I mean, I was a Christian for most of my life, so I do understand the importance of leading others to Christ, you know, and that's, Sandra feels that, you know, a great commission. Um, She does. So I I get it. So I don't think Sandra is being malicious or mean at all. She literally has the best of intentions throughout all of it. And I will give her that. She didn't do anything wrong. But Spence is also extremely valid in his response. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, speak your beliefs. You have that right. But then when those beliefs cause people so much pain and anguish in their life, and it has been chronicled that they do in certain cases and in other people's lives, then those people also have an equal amount of right to speak out against the damage that's been done. Uh, and they should speak out on that. I think uh, you know everything should be held accountable and in check for its toll on society, good or bad. Um, and yeah, many people have been helped greatly by love and support, you know, from the church in times of need. But a lot of people have also been hurt, disenfranchised, and abused in the same systems. Yes, there's, there's balance, and both do need to be addressed. So I do feel for Sandra because she's trying to do the right thing, truly living you know this thing that she believes but then also (laughs) i'd be lying to you if i didn't say i was also going yes 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 the whole time spence is saying what he's saying too you know uh Mm -hmm. dropping some major reality bombs on her because those things are true and then those who know me well i'm I'm gonna say i'm not gonna repeat what spence said at the end before he stormed off but i'm gonna tell you i do agree with him uh with how he feels about any God that views him in the way that he's been taught, you know, uh, that's where I am. So I get it. And so I think 
without getting too personal, but you know where I stand and people <laughs> listening, he's like, can, can put some context clues together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very much on Spence's side on this, I think, but also coming from that background, I understand Sandra. Neither one of them were wrong. I think both of them were very valid in what they were trying to do. Yeah. San- right. Sandra maybe didn't pick the best time. Mm-hmm. She's probably, it has probably been addressed before. And and we'll get into later. I think she does come to that realization. But so I, I, I don't want to paint Sandra as a villain in this episode because she, as we learn, I mean, she is a wonderful, kind hearted, loving person and she does not mean any harm by it. But I also think that Spence's reaction don't paint him in a bad light either because he has every right to be pissed and feel the way he does too. I mean, that's his experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, and they are both valid. It was, you know, f- for me anyway, watching that scene, it was not a matter of, well, you're right and you're wrong for for either of them. Um, I do agree that I think she could have probably chosen a, a, a different format instead of maybe group therapy. Right. I mean, I, I, I understand where she was trying to come from, but maybe in a more private manner. And, but, but yeah, and I think that based on her beliefs and seeing what she saw in the basement scared her, you know, it, it looked like, I mean, there's been a lot of talk of witchcraft in the show. I don't know how much Sandra knows about that. Um, yeah. We know we've heard talk of Anya and how her former roommate who has passed got very involved with the occult and witchcraft and things like that. So I feel like there's that's going to somehow come into play. And we know that there was something about a cult, this Paragon group, this cult that was also there at the same place many, many years ago. And clearly from some of the artifacts down in the basement. They might have had something to do with that or something, but I can see from her perspective that that would be pretty scary based on her faith. It looked like something from the occult, you know, with the robes and the knife and you start talking like rituals and things like that. That can be, you know, pretty scary for someone of of a Christian faith Mm -hmm. and someone young like, like her. So I totally get where she was coming from and, you know, she's, you know, probably also worried about herself i know she seems concerned for everyone's sake but i think sandra had something else going on i can't pinpoint it maybe we don't know that yet like what's going on with her because the way that like she lashed out at alanka and was like blaming her you know for you know taking the kids down to the basement and i'm like well no one made you go Right. You know, you didn't have to go down to this basement. I'm, you know, when Alanka and Kevin, if they go back upstairs, you know, we didn't see it, but clearly they went and got everyone and like, oh my God, look what we found. You know, you could have said no, you didn't have to. Everyone, I think, made a choice to go and check that out. You know, she got mad at Alanka, like, well, you dragged us out and kept us up too late and exposed us, you know, to mold and, you know, this, you know, dirty place and, you know, everyone there is immunocompromised and stuff. And I'm like, well, you made a choice just like everyone else did. And it seemed like her anger was a little bit misplaced. Yeah. You know, I I thought about that. So, and, and where I, 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 there's a lot of assumptions that I have to make while watching this show because they don't give you everything. Yeah. And so I'm reading a lot into different characters, but I feel like with Sandra, I mean, first I was like the audacity be looking for Spence for him to apologize. He didn't say anything wrong, Mm -hmm. but uh, no, I think them talking things out, 
is very important. And then the way that she does it with the story, I'll talk about later, mm-hmm. I think too. is very interesting and is great. Um, but I was thinking, yeah, where is this frustration coming from? Because uh, she's definitely frustrated and doesn't know where to point it. And I wonder if it's just because of her faith and because of who she is, she kind of feels this target on her back. Um, Maybe. I think, you know, I think she is the only person really of any faith uh, in this place. And so she feels maybe attacked or targeted sometimes that, that she's the odd one out and people view her differently because of that. Um, and I get it because when she talks to Alanka and Kevin and she does, she kind of hints at that. She's like, you know, she, I'm sure she does feel like she's being painted as hateful and bigoted and judgmental just because of the religion that she claims. Right. And clearly she isn't that she's, she's one of the good ones. You know, you can't paint everybody with broad strokes. Mm -hmm. So she's also maybe being judged unfairly and wrongly and stereotyped the way that people think she does to other people. So she's making a fair point. And she at the end of that, you know, statement before she walks off, she, she's right. And it does feel very shitty no matter what side of it you're on. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I, I think that there's probably a lot, to that you know because it it turns out that yeah she's she's a a good christian i know you and i have both spoken many times about our bad experiences you know Mm -hmm. and and i i acknowledge there are a lot of great people of faith and like you said they don't you know push their agendas and do harm and they're not judgmental and but there are many that are, and unfortunately, I've known, I think, more um, on the other side um, that's mm-hmm. definitely left a bad taste in my mouth. And it's hard to, you know, um, remember that, hey, not everyone's like that. And it was good to see that that Sandra, you know, is, is not that way and that she's loving. And, you know, um, so, yeah, so maybe maybe that's where some of her misplaced anger was coming out as she she's feeling as judged as maybe what Spence and maybe the others were, you know, feeling judged. Um, and that maybe, you know, I don't know that they've got maybe taken the time to get to know Sandra very well. And maybe that's why they feel that way. So, I mean, maybe moving forward, this episode has kind of helped everyone see um, some, you know, everyone else in a different light. That's what kind of comes out in these stories, I think. So that was yeah. a good place to start. Yeah, figure, get it, get it out of the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have a lot of notes about it. Let's just let's do it. <laughs> Rip off the band aid. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I wanted to start, and these are in no particular order. I, I've kind of just stopped uh, numbering things because, and so it's not in any particular order. I just started taking my notes um, as I'm thinking about the story. So I want to start off with Shasta. Mm-hmm. It's it, isn't it obvious by now she has to be Julia Jane, right? Yeah. No, I, I do have a note. It's like, and then Alanka <laughs> runs into Ju- I, Shasta, Shasta, Julia. I mean Shasta, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean she. So Alanka decides to venture out into the woods again and stumbles upon, or I should say, Shasta stumbles upon on purpose due to some cameras out in the woods that are mm-hmm. handy dandy. Um, you know, they have a nice little chat. And she basically points Alanka at finding a book. Um, and, you know, last week we were talking about the uh, art therapy that 
she found in Shasta's that Alanka found in Shasta. Sorry, I'm see, I'm already confusing the yeah. two. <laughs> Shasta, Julia, Jane, like they're the same person. I don't know that yet, but suspicions are high. Sorry, yeah. Julia Jane's file, all of her art therapy and that um, number, which you know we were thinking was the Dewey Decimal number, which this episode proved to be right. But I thought it was just very obvious that she's like, you know, throwing out the numbers like, you know, oh, 0600's medical. And, you know, and that gets Alanka. I think she knows Alanka's a bright girl. She, well, she calls her bright girl, but, you know, she knows that she's mm-hmm. really smart. And um, she's, I think, throwing that out on purpose. And the only thing is, is that if she is purposely wanting her to go, you know, look for that book that, that uh, Alanka ended up finding, how was she to know that she would have gotten her file and found right. that specific Dewey Decimal number that was in her art therapy? That's a little bit of a leap, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't think that she would have thought that much. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't think because Alanka hasn't even mentioned the name of Julia Jane to Shasta yet. Has she? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. So I feel like it would just be luck knowing that Alanka was a curious girl and that she would try to find this file or that book or get access to that file and be able to see her art therapy. So, but it just seems like so in your face, you know, go to the book. Surely, you know, the Dewey Decimal um, system, right? For libraries, you're a smart girl. You know, it just seemed like she was very obviously pointing her to that and reminding her of, of this Dewey Decimal number system mm-hmm. and that she would know about this book um, that she ended up finding. Um, so I don't know. So, I'm, But I just feel like it's so, and maybe not because it's so on the nose. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just, you know, I keep, you know, just throwing things at it, thinking I'm right. And I'm, I'm, I could be completely wrong. I don't know. But I feel like it just it's so obvious um and then i mentioned the cameras on her property i feel like that might come back and serve another mm-hmm. purpose you think i mean kind of made a big point to Maybe, to yeah. like, point them out and i don't know quite what yet but i don't know either it could. i don't know yeah there's not a lot of things that Flanagan does that are just like insignificant like if he's going to show you something it's going to mean something later <laughs> yeah just a quick mention of something like, oh, I have cameras out here in the woods. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Like, does she have a problem with trespassers? Or, which I wouldn't think so. I mean, that she said that she hadn't seen anyone from the hospice in quite some time when she met Alanka yeah. that first time. And it sounds like, like, I think we talked about before, like, I don't exactly know where they are at, but it, they seemed like somewhat rural. There's not a lot of people milling about in, in the area so the only folks that would be there are people that work there and the, the kids that live there um and so why would you have cameras it wasn't like a deer hunting camera or something you know? right. <laughs> so, why would you have cameras out there um you know if you don't have a lot of folks that are wandering out in the woods what what would the purpose be so mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it seemed kind of strange to me that she would have cameras out there, and you know, just the mere mention of them. It's like, oh, anytime they just mention something small like that, it almost always comes back in some way. I don't know what. I I don't even have a guess. Right. Um, <laughs> just that. Hmm. She made a point to point them out, and that she's got them at different points of her property. It'll either come in handy or come back later. 
is just my yeah. guess. So I don't know. Just a quick note. Um, w- since she had a new interaction with her, that I just feel like all all um, you know hands point to her being Julia Jane. Yeah. And I think she knows more than what she was telling Alanka. Her, her face certainly changed a little when Alanka brought up that cult and uh, yeah. that Paragon group. So just like with Dr. Stanton, I'm like, y'all know something. You know, you're hiding something. <laughs> so, and I'm annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had that as a as a point, uh, but I think you covered pretty much all of it. So. Yeah, which good. Then if you only had four, maybe that'd just whittle me down to four. Because <laughs> yeah, we did all that uh, other than just to add to it on that before, I guess, my next point. Yeah. Um, you know, Alanka finding the hourglass carving in the tree and also that like crescent moon with the GB. Don't yeah, know what that means. Yeah, wonder who but, GB uh, or who I should have gone back because there was like a Gale that was also in Midnight Club <gasps> with That's Julia, right. but I forgot to look back at her last name. So I don't know if there was a B initial or not. That's right. I paused um, to read when they had the book open the names yeah. of the stories and whose story it was. And you could see whose story it was. And then their name, like in the yeah. list of attendees or whatever. Yes, you're right. There was a Gale. Mm. I should have gone back to make sure her last initial, but it could be, could be something with that. But yeah. And then of course, <laughs> Shasta just happens to be the person running this company of uh, naturopathic remedies, the NTs that Alanka has been using and is a big fan of mm-hmm. small world. She moved right next door to where her favorite products are being made. And now she gets stuff for free. Uh, <laughs> That's handy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you mentioned, yeah, when she asked her about the Paragon and even when she calls it a cult, I was trying to read Shasta's face a little bit. And, and those didn't get a great read, but I think she definitely knows something, but she's got a pretty good poker face. Uh, but there was just a second of her being like, how do you know those names? Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I think that it's like. Well, I'm not going to allow myself to do any level of ranting on natural remedies versus medicine. I'm not going to alienate more people today. I'm going to be good boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not necessary, not needed. Um, yeah, and just the end. Then her actually finding the book uh, near the end of the episode. With this hourglass, hourglass carved into this like blank cover, and I was like, "Ooh, what could it be?" We still don't know. And I was wondering if her and Kevin were going to share a romantic moment before that realization came across her. There was kind of a lingering moment. I don't know. I felt something. There was a buzz, <laughs> a little buzz in the air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's but got yeah. a girlfriend, oh. though. Mm-hmm. Careful, Kevin. Right. Which, which, speaking of that, I guess that will be the next main like point is again it's a super quick one little one and yeah. I'm with you it's like i have little things go for it but yeah is, is kevin going to prom because you know it's not an episode of midnight club if i don't take a point to talk about my boy kevin right heck yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so he's headed off to Catherine's senior prom it took a lot for him to to go it really was quite an undertaking uh and alanka is doing his makeup to put a little color back into his face and he's trying to you know put his best foot forward with all that and as he's taking off <laughs> spence was very negative about what kevin's prom night was going to look like was he spot on yeah absolutely but still he could at least pretend to be a little positive negative <laughs> nilly i'm telling you yeah man because yeah because when kevin gets back he's recounting his prom night and yeah spence was was right he was just the pitiful poor cancer boy who needs all the special treatment and he hated it uh 
you know, some of the stuff he was talking about. I was so brave. I was very brave. Everyone made sure to tell me how brave I was. So brave. Um, and then they made me prom king. You know, just like Spin said, they probably would out of pity. Um, Poor Kevin. And then mini rant. Uh, yeah, because then he goes on these comparisons of, you know, yeah, how many times do people tell you that, you know, oh, they had a grandparent who died of cancer. He's like, I got compared to so many grandparents and uncles and even a dog. Uh, so, yeah, there's my tiny... It's not the big soapbox. I got the miniature one that I can stand on real quick. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Never do that, people, to someone dealing with a terminal illness or also someone who's lost a loved one. Like, if you're at a funeral, don't bring up people that you've lost as a way to, like, understand, quote unquote. Uh, it's honestly just as somebody who's lost a lot of people close in my life and been to way too many funerals in my life. Mm-hmm. It's like the least favorite thing is when people being like, oh, I know how you feel. My uncle died. Blah, blah, blah. It's tacky and selfish, honestly. Even if you got your best intentions, like it's just putting focus on yourself. It doesn't help the grieving people at all. Trust me. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it made me think of that, even though with him, it's kind of maybe it's even kind of worse with Kevin because like, he's still alive and people are already just like, oh, yeah. I lost people. <laughs> it's just like, I'm still here. Don't have to talk to me about death constantly. Like, let's dance instead, please. <laughs> I know. In in my experience, um, you just want to be treated like, I mean, he's a, well, I'm trying to think. Of, he said it wasn't his prom, so I'm, I'm maybe He missed his already, senior prom, so he's like 18 or I'm 19. I'm guessing, yeah, yeah, he's past um, school, but still young, like maybe 18 or 19. And, but he's still a teenager and he's still a kid. And he's probably missed out on a lot due to his illness. And I, I feel like he probably just wants to be treated like another kid. Probably mm-hmm. wants to talk about the same thing that you want to talk about or all the other kids at the prom want to talk about, you know, uh, teenager yeah. stuff. You know, your favorite music of the moment, your favorite movies of the moment or whatever the heck. I don't even know. I'm so yeah. old. I don't even know if I know what teenagers <laughs> talk about anymore. <laughs> and it's been a while since yeah. I've had a teenager. But <laughs> You just Kevin be, doesn't want to hear about your dead uncle. He wants to talk about Radiohead. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, to judge kids, I guess, because, you know, they may not always know the right things to say, but some adults, um, you know, should do a little better, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I get it. it. It can be really awkward. But, but yeah, just treat them like you would your friends, you know, talk about the same things that you're talking about with your friends. Don't yep. start talking about the cancer or mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> or or being or like you know, showing pity or that you feel sorry for them or something, you know. Yeah. Just- and you can see it it affects Kevin. Like even like, you know, when they're at like the group and he's joking about it and they're laughing it off. Yeah. But then again, kind of at the end, which is why I was wondering, you know, cause he's sharing a little more personal stuff. I was wondering if there was something between him and Alanka. Cause then when it's just the two of them left in the library and he opens up to her a little bit and says, you know, yeah. When I talked about the stuff that happened at prom, he's like, it, it hurt a lot more than I even let on. Like he's like, it, it really sucked. Yeah. His girlfriend should be very grateful for <laughs> enduring that because it didn't sound fun prom should be fun you right. know and and the fact that he didn't get to go to his own prom and that this is kind of his chance to kind of you know have that moment a little bit even though it was her prom he gets to kind of experience it too since he didn't get get to go to his own you know just sucked and i hated that for him that it mm. just ruined his experience knowing that 
you know, this might be one of the last big things he gets to, you know, get to do. Yeah. Before, you know, he, he succumbs to his, his illness. So that, I didn't go to either of my proms junior or senior, but that was on my own accord. Cause I think I had, both those nights I had a concert I wanted to go to instead. And I did that. <laughs> so it sounds like such a big thing to was, do. So it was more fun for me. <laughs> say, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet you probably had a way better time, or at least I hope you did at the concerts more than, yeah. than prom. <laughs> I did go to my prom. I, I was hesitant, but I did go and it was okay. Had a great theme. We had a great theme. I loved my theme. We had Phantom of the Opera theme. So oh, nice. I was all into Phantom. Well, still, even now, uh, but definitely very heavy into Phantom back in the day. But uh, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, really felt for Kevin. Poor guy. Having to get a friggin' blood transfusion and everything just to be able to go and having to put, you know, makeup on so he doesn't look, you know, so deathly. Deathly ill. Mm-hmm. It sounded like he was like wearing like face masks and stuff throughout the night to like not, yeah, be, you know, uh, <laughs> not come in too much contact with like other people, like you know, if they could pass anything to him or anything. Because I mean, yeah, his immune system is just shot to hell. So mm-hmm. a lot of preparation, a lot of risk that he takes just going. So yeah, yeah. Better be grateful, Catherine. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, well, my next point is, this one's kind of quick, too, because I don't know what to think about it just yet, but just wanted to kind of talk about, since that's where we left off from last week's episode, and it went right back in the start of this episode, was Alonka stuck in that freaking creepy, ritualistic sub-basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to see that creepy old lady again, and then she was gone again. And I was so glad to see Kevin come back. Yeah. I, I, I dogged on him right back down (laughs) dogged on him just a little bit like did did he just leave her did he did he push that button did he have any control over that what was happening um sorry kevin my bad uh so it was good (laughs) to see him it seemed like within just moments you know pushing that button again and coming back down so i was glad to see that he he reappeared and then once they go and get the rest of the group and they're looking around I have more questions than what I have insight on anything because I feel like obviously at this point, it's still a big mystery, um, you know, about that basement and what the hell was going on down there. So like, how long has it been there? You know, who actually built this, this basement, you know, who stayed down there? You know, they were like, Oh, looks like somebody lived here. Who the hell is living down there? I mean, we, I think mentioned Julia, you know, could she have, when yeah. she had disappeared for that time, could that be where she was? Because she's like, I was here the whole time, you know, so mm-hmm. was that where she was? Sounds sounds very feasible to me. Yeah, that <sighs> she was hiding out down there for who knows what reason. But yeah, it seems to be a good idea of where she was. That does not look or sound very pleasant to me at all. That looks <laughs> scary as hell. It is dark. There are no windows, completely black. I can't imagine there are enough candles or flashlights uh in the world mm-hmm. that would be enough for me to to stay down there right. and, and how we did isolate. see there is a light switch down there. It doesn't work now, but maybe it did back then. Oh well maybe it did did I miss yeah. I must have missed that. But still it just it sounds absolutely terrible uh to me. Mm-hmm. Um and then Again, this freaking old ghost lady. Who the hell is she? Um, mm-hmm. What what does she represent? Again, so many questions. But they did find some interesting things down there. They did discover 
um, as we were mentioning earlier, this book that had the Midnight Club on the title, which pretty fancy schmancy. Yeah. For, you know, what was it founded in 1969? Who had this book made? That, that, I'm assuming it looked, it looked made. Maybe it was just a sticker or something. I don't know. Maybe because it was dusty and maybe I wasn't looking at it right. But either way, they find this book and find these entries and find out that Julia Jane, what a quinky dink, uh, started uh, the Midnight Club. And it was really cool to see the entries that they had and that they were like logging their stories, you know, what the title of the story was, kind of like a little synopsis of what the story was about. I paused it and read a couple. Um, Mm -hmm. And they really did that every night, you know, and I guess they do that every single night. I'm thinking, how the hell do you come up with that many stories? I, (laughs) I could not be a member of the Midnight Club. I would be like a listener and not a participant because there is no way in hell I could ever come up with a story. Um, every other you're the, night, you're the Sheree of the group. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna be like, you know what? I'm just here to support. <laughs> I'm here to support y'all and and get in on some good stories. I'm not creative enough to come up with any on my own. So kudos to all these kids for coming up with stories on the reg because I know I couldn't. But uh, you know, evidence shows that they used to meet there. Like that was instead of I guess the library that that is maybe where the Midnight Club used to have their meetings. Wonder why it stopped. Mm-hmm. I think that's a question. And something happened. Uh, yeah. By the looks of the what, what happened with that book, something very dark happened. <laughs> yeah, those bloody fingerprints, handprints, whatever it was, uh, didn't didn't look great. It looked like it was cut off um, unexpectedly. As far as like where the store, you know, they're they're documenting their stories, documenting their nights, who's who's there in attendance and things like that. And then, yeah, then you see some bloody pages along with that darn hourglass mm-hmm. symbol again. So I, I don't have a lot of insight, but just wanted to kind of talk it out. They found the robes down there. They found a knife down there. Looked to be like, again, some part of a ritual, maybe. What, did it belong to those um, that cult group? You know, what was that all about? Who's, you know, a, a bed and candles and I don't know what all else. Um, and then all this elaborate painting. Who did that? You know, especially on the ceiling, too. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It serves some kind of purpose, obviously, and probably multi-purpose over the years, uh, depending on who was inhabiting the house at the time or whatever. But um, I'm interested to learn more. But creepy ass basement. I poof. I think I've just been like, you know what? Y'all have fun. I'll stay up here. I don't know if I can go down there. I've been yeah. to some creepy ass basements, so I don't know. Yeah, that was Sandra being like, mm, no. And mm-hmm. bye. And most most everybody went with her. They're like, yeah, no, we're going to go with her on that one. Which did leave me wondering, how did Alanka, Kevin, and Anya get back up? When the rest of the kids took the elevator, uh, yeah, I didn't see a I, button. I don't on, think there's a button down there that I was ever <laughs> saw. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Could they? I guess when they get up there, can they reach in and hit the button to go back down, and then it, and then it go? Or does someone have to stay behind to come down and get them when they're ready or something? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I didn't see a button. How the hell does anyone get to and fro? Right. Ugh. Nope. Got back up somehow. <laughs> nope. Nope. I'd be too scared of getting stuck. Hell no. I don't know how deep that mm-hmm. hole goes. The, the the elevator shaft. Like, does it keep? Does it stop there? Nope. Too. Nope. 
just know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> not the best point, but just wanted to kind of talk about it and talk it out and um, at least acknowledge that um, that it was it it was interesting. But no thanks. So yeah. All right, what have you got next? Um. Well, with that, honestly, other than just like random notes, I've got one left because yeah, we've kind of through <laughs> your points and through other stuff, mm-hmm. kind of just. Knocking stuff out, which is good, because, yeah, it's a small point, but, like, that basement thing was another thing I had, but it's like, no, we fully covered that one, so. Uh, <laughs> well, there wasn't, good. we didn't get to see yeah, much of it, it was pretty quick, so. Yeah. So, uh, I guess my really last major point uh, is what I've been doing every week since they've been telling the stories, really. Uh, Are we taking a kiss? The let's, deep dive? Let's do it. Let's, All right. let's talk about it. Let's see what I can figure out. So, um. Before this, Sandra has had time to think and process with herself a little bit. Uh, And clearly, you know, she wants to address the tension between Spence and herself. And since this is the Midnight Club, she's going to do it through a story. Uh, (laughs) Give me a kiss is her story. Which again, quick version, you know, it's about this girl who's like upset and betrayed by her best friend falling in love with her ex. And she ends up sabotaging her friend's secret, letting it out leads to a whole messy murder situation where she's trying to frame someone for their deaths while her friend has his own plot. And it's just these mixed murder plot, you know, detective black and white story, which she said she's a big fan of. Uh, it's, it's wild. It goes all over the place. It does. But it, it, it's a little rushed. They were trying to fit yeah. in like a two hour movie into like a 15 right. minute story. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But, but but it ends with this idea that like she really loves her friend, but she was impulsive. And even though his love may not be what she understands, she truly does love him. And she made a terrible mistake, wanting to try to get a point across to him, but only hurt him instead. Does that sound familiar? Uh, <laughs> so here's where I kind of break down the story a little bit with what things could have meant. So uh, get your yoga mats out, everybody, because it's time for some stretching. Uh, right. <laughs> let's see We're if in. I can connect to these points uh in the story jake the character of jake which was spence uh that persona there uh he's writing this story he works for the paper he's writing a story exposing the football team which is held very important and dear to the school obviously for its problematic behavior of doping which is damaging uh maybe sandra is including this as uh an allusion to spence kind of poking some truth about the harm of her faith in you know, in, in the wrong hands and what it does. Um, so this thing, you know, just like as a school holds its football team dear, but when it's doing things that are wrong, do you really want those things pointed out because it can damage the reputation? And that's kind of exactly what he did to her and her faith. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see what's uh, Jake's uh, secret love with Kirk is out. And everyone's looking at him in a negative way. I think she's trying to throw that in there. It's just like a way, you know, because you see Spence immediately go, what are you doing? You're not doing what you think you're doing. (laughs) You know, what are you? And she was like, hang on. And I think it's she's trying to say that she understands Spence, the way he feels targeted. She's not the most subtle. It's Sandra. And that's what, you know, I could see people maybe getting, you know, having problems with this story being like, Oh, it's way too heavy-handed and ham-fisted, and like a lot of the themes and points that they're trying to make are actually still kind of offensive. Well, well yeah, because this is Sandra telling the story, and mm-hmm. she's she's still, even though she's doing 
right by apologizing to Spence and really telling the story as a way to try to apologize for what she did, it's still her and she's still going to be stepping on her own feet and putting her foot in her mouth even through the story. Like, yeah, like the whole herpes thing, like she should have left that out. That was still Sandro so much being like overreaching with a point she's trying to make and still making it a little problematic. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You have to remember the narrator. Of, right. of the story and their view, their perspective, and their their world that they're coming from. Right. Yeah. So uh, the story being very ham-fisted and awkward makes sense because it's Sandra's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's she's trying to convey to Spence that she does understand the way the world mistreats him and the way that it views him is wrong because she doesn't believe that way. Uh, she views him as a friend. And she loves him as a friend, and that's what she's really trying to put across here. Uh, in the story, Alice, who is Sandra, uh, is trying to blame others for what she caused. She's putting the trail off of her and like talking to this detective and putting that trail onto other people instead of facing that maybe her actions were harmful uh, herself. She doesn't want to face that. The, uh, the line when she's walking out of the detective's office that I know none of this is compulsory. That was a line from group therapy. I think she's kind of saying her actions and words there in group therapy may not have been as harmless and helpful as she said that they, she thought they were. Hmm. You know, maybe she realized she picked a bad time for what she had done, and maybe her motives were a little underhanded, even if she didn't mean for it to be, because she turns back to the detective, played by, you know, you know <laughs> having Stanton in there in the, the spot, um, having Lincoln Camp there. But, uh, but when she turns and says, there was no kindness in this detective, I wish I'd never come. And I think it's this after that compulsory line, she's thinking of group therapy going, there was no kindness in what I said, even though I thought, and I even said then that I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just trying to be, I think now that she's had time to really think on it, she's like, no, I was out of line. I shouldn't have done what I did. I think she's, uh, you know, admitting that and understanding that. Mm, maybe. Uh, Cause then even in the story, the Spence character catches her and calls her out for what happened. Just like he did in group therapy, uh, where he was like, no, hang on, we're not doing this. Yeah, and then I mentioned the whole Leah STD thing. Uh, mm, that one's a mess. Let's, <laughs> it's, it's Sandra. She's, she's going to put her foot in her mouth one more time. Uh, it just shows her naivety. She very much is still very naive in a lot of these things. Um, and then the connections to the characters, because she did lash out because she was upset about the basement and maybe some other lingering things. And it just ended up hurting her friends more than she thought or intended. And then in the end, it really only hurts her, right? Mm-hmm. Because now Spence, who she loves and admires as a friend, has now like turned on her and is mad at her. And that hurts her. It's, it's eating away at her. And then the angel porn makes its way in anyway, because uh, <laughs> she can't help it. Yep. Uh, she's even yep. like, I don't know why I can't not do that. Uh, <laughs> we have like the blood pouring from Alice's body is forming these like wings underneath her and under her. Uh, and of course, then the other characters that were killed in the story appears. Angel says she's dying. It's like, man, yeah, you really gotta gotta go mm-hmm. there. Also, there's a Zima reference in the story. Which, oh, wow, God, that's I a throwback know. reference. Man, so that was funny. Uh, but yeah, the whole story really is just Sandra apologizing and wanting to apologize to Spence. And honestly, at the end there, it was actually really be- beautiful. Like I cried a lot it got me uh so i even wrote down like her words after the story where she says spence i'm sorry for the way people treated you i never would not on purpose 
Doesn't mean I'm not an idiot sometimes, which we see there even with the story itself. Mm-hmm. She goes, and for the record, God never would treat you like that. I mean, I know that. I'm so I'm sorry. For me and on behalf of, well, on behalf of anyone who loves God, because you can't love God and hate love. You just can't. So on their behalf, I'm sorry. Like legitimately fucking sorry. <laughs> and, and in the way Spence just silently with his eyes a little misty gets up and then gives her a little kiss on the forehead, forgiving her, letting it go. That whole thing there moved me deeply. Like I was a wreck. And I was like, oh, Flanagan, thank you so much again for this. But it was beautiful because it does show those both sides. It's like Spence was correct. What she did was wrong. The harm is there. But at the same time, you can't look at Sandra and because of her faith, whether you agree with it or not, paint her under stereotypes and broad brushstrokes either because she truly is a good person with a good heart who really does love. Right. Exactly. I I think you were probably pretty spot on with that, Paik, in my opinion. So, nice job. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that end after her story and her, you know, well, the whole story basically being her apology to Spence, but especially there at the end, I just thought was so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And that's obviously one of my notes too, but super quick. Mine is way shorter than, than, <laughs> than what you had. So thank you for filling in the gaps there. Um, you know, the, the film noir star style of film is not quite my taste. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I think they did well. And I thought it was something different, something fun. I appreciate the different uh, type of stories uh, that they're trying to show in, in uh, yeah. this series. So I, I think it was fun, but it's not quite up to my taste. And I did think that the ending was a little clumsy with the uh, herpes reveal. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <sighs> so close, Sandra. You're so close. <laughs> like you're using an STD as a plot device to apologize to your friend with AIDS. Um, yeah. Didn't think that went through, did you? <laughs> yeah. And even the look on his face when they were like, you're you're talking about herpes and Spence's face is like, okay, he's, he's like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like at that point, he sees what she's doing, yeah. and I think he like he understands. He knows her well enough. He's like, okay, we're cool. I get it, but like, fucking really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you were so close. Like, oh man, I. I uh, but I'm like, I okay, I get it. Yep, I see what she was trying to do. <laughs> but all in all, uh, I do like their storyline, Sandra and Spence, because what was really nice in this episode is it showed two friends working through their differences and mm-hmm. learning to see each other in a different way. Yeah. And I, I really loved that. I think that this really opened her up to Spence and what he's been through and what, he, well, and still going through. It's not was, he is still going through it. You know, he's still dealing mm-hmm. with his family and uh, being shunned by his own family and not by yeah. his just by his family but you know he he talks about growing up in you know the church community and in the faith and and then you know when he's when it you know people find out that he's gay and well that's just according to them an abomination and then he has aids on top of it uh you know and then he is shunned not just from his own family but like his social family in his community. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know what that's like. So I feel that all the outrage, you know, whatever Spence feels is completely warranted, you know, and yeah. how hurtful that that is. Uh, so I totally 
you know, can appreciate his his feelings. But I really liked that Sandra really, I think, got to see his viewpoint and he really got to see hers and understand that even though he doesn't believe the same as what she does anymore, um, that he can appreciate that she's a good person and yeah. loves him. So I, I do like that about this story. Well, that was, like I said, one of my points. So I'll just move on uh, to my last main point, And that is Spence. We've talked about Spence, but one thing that we haven't really talked about yet. And I think one reason that this didn't hit well was because he has found a new lesion um, that he showed Mark. Um, he had to go get some blood drawn and was having a conversation with Mark. Sweet, sweet Mark. Um, mm-hmm. Love him. Um, but I guess this indicates that his meds aren't working anymore. And, you know, Mark assures him that, you know, like, hey, this, you're still okay today. Like, this doesn't mean that, like, tomorrow it's the end or something, right? It's, but it's still not great news. Mm -hmm. And it is a decline. It's a decline. It's a decline for sure. Um, and after he leaves, he starts to then hear some whispers. And I feel that could also add to the bad news of him uh, apparently getting even worse with with his illness, because it seems Mm -hmm. that seeing shadows and hearing things is an indicator that death could be close. Uh, Anya has said Rachel experienced the same things uh, just before she died, and Anya is hearing and seeing things. And so I think that him hearing things is not good. I just based off of that. And I know we've talked about this hospice and I've expressed my confusion. Like how, how did the kids end up there? And I know that like maybe for someone like Anya or, or, um, Alonka who've come from foster families and maybe don't have families. And this is, you know, maybe a good place for them to go and have a community of, of peers who are going through illnesses as well. But I'm confused though. It still doesn't sit well with me that there are kids with families that are Mm -hmm. there and that bothers me. And Spence being one of them, like his his family sounds like they're really close and they can come see him and visit and or he could go there and maybe spend a day or something and see his family. Um, So I'm really trying to understand, you know, why and why is he there? And I mean, it seems like I, I know he is sick, but he seems like he's just sick, like he's on meds and he seems at least what I've seen from the show. He seems healthy. Right now, mm-hmm. I guess his, his meds are or have been up to this point working for him and he's healthy. So why is he in a hospice? You know, why? Yeah. I just I don't I don't understand why. Like, it feels like his family wanted to get him out of the way or something. I mean, hearing how his relationship with his mother is and her beliefs, it doesn't surprise me. Um, she seems like one of those kind of people who would. like, oh he's an abomination, then I'm going to just disown him and he's not under my roof and I don't want that sin in my house and he just goes. We just get rid of him. It's horrible and hateful and evil, but 
from what we've heard about his mother, that sounds kind of the track she's on there. Uh, so. It just seems so cruel because, and, and like yeah. I said, and maybe I don't understand, maybe I'm misunderstanding the point of Brightcliff, but they, they say it's a hospice. And my right. experience of a hospice is that's your end of life care. Yeah. Which I mean, technically, even if it, yeah, sorry, even if it takes a while, I mean, <laughs> In the, the you know nineteen ninety four ninety five whatever they're in, I mean, HIV and AIDS is still very much a signed death warrant. Absolutely, it's, absolutely. There is no cure, you know. Right. And it's well, and and I and I know that meds have gotten better than what we had in the nineties, but it just mm-hmm. seems like he's there like way too early. Like he's, uh huh. I don't know. I'm like so it makes it feel like it was a wave for his family to get rid of him, you know, to yeah. like, well, we, or his mom anyway, I don't know if his, his dad, you know, I think is complicit because I mean, I don't, I think I'd be fighting like hell with my spouse if right. they're like, like insisting that, that, that like that guy. <laughs> so, I mean, he's complicit. Even if his dad comes to see him, I'm still like, yeah, no, you, you need to like freaking grow a heart and, and something Advocate else too, for your you son. You, you <laughs> You're know. right. So, you know, I, I, <laughs> We'd be having some serious disagreements if my spouse were like, oh, we're going to put our kid in hospice because, oh, she's gay and has has AIDS and we're ashamed of her. Oh, my God. Let's not even. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So so it, I think that's that's my whole point is I'm just not understanding, you know, that why did they put him in hospice? Did he get put there? you know, just to get them out of, of their lives. And so they didn't have to look at him and to have the neighbors look at him and their church community look at him and be reminded Mm -hmm. of that all the time. So just, it just makes me so angry that he's, you know, having to be there, um, you know, under. And then also I wonder, I think we talked about it like last week, also the fully funded and whatever that means Mm -hmm. is that that's also I mean, I'm sure the medication and stuff he's on is also really expensive. And if this hospice is the one covering that medication, then that's another reason as well for maybe his, maybe even if his mother is yeah. sending them as like a punishment and shunning him, then maybe that gives more reason why his dad would at least go along with it. It's like, well, at least you can get the care. The we don't have to deal need. with it. Yeah. <laughs> you can get the care and the medicine that, that you need. Maybe, maybe, but it's like, it, I would I would be fine with it if it was more like a treatment facility or a hospital mm-hmm. or something, not a hospice. I'm just like it. Yeah. Just I'm I'm having a hard time, kind of making that make sense in my head. Is all I'm just I'm struggling with that. So I don't know if I'm being real real clear about you know about, and it just pisses me off <laughs> the cruelty <laughs> of people and how yeah. how you would treat someone of your own family and your own child and. It's disgusting. That's and like I said, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to make it make sense. Um, and what kind of you know facility Brightcliff is, but yeah, I guess I didn't think about that point. If maybe he can be there um, to be able to have access to his meds, because mm-hmm. yeah, that medication is not, and especially in the 90s, um, inex- inexpensive yeah. by any means. So that's a good point. I don't know. I just struggled with that. Anyway, um, do you have any other points or do you have any notes? I've got notes. Okay, let's move on to sure. notes. That cover a couple of other things. Um, yeah, because they're, they're like the tiniest points that have like two little thoughts or one little thought <laughs> to them. Uh, so Amesh 
is a fear response game, North, South, East, West. Um, we see that in action as he kind of, if he's scared of something or unsure of something, he turns it into this, you know, text-based computer game in his head to explore something strange or scary. Uh, and it seems that he does this a lot because um, Spence is not interested. Like right off, he's like, nah, maybe not the time for that. But then Natsuki plays with him though. Uh, but we, I do remember it being mentioned in like episode one or two. Spence said something to like that to Alonka. It was like uh, about a mesh. It was like, if he says north, south, east, west, just turn the other way. Like <laughs> I remember that like a line like kind of thrown there. So then to see what that is, it's his like this. He calls it a you know pause fear response for a moment to enjoy the artwork. You know, so we we know he's a big gamer nerd, big video game person. So yep. it's kind of an escape for him. Is he goes into this like yes yeah, like a text based computer game in his head where he's like northwest you know north south east west which way do you look what do you explore let's let's pretend this is a video game and i'm learning the map and seeing what's going on <laughs> good coping mechanism for being in a scary creepy ass basement <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh let's see i've talked a lot about sandra and stuff we did get you and you know mark and spence talking uh just the little thing that because we weren't 100 percent sure but there was the confirmation that mark himself also is gay because yes. he talks about coming out to his parents mm-hmm. and the awkwardness that comes with that uh and of course that you know their relationship is still kind of awkward but it's good that spence does have someone to talk to that understands him if he does need it yeah we still never really got any type of explanation maybe we will maybe that's to come about why he mm-hmm. lashed out at mark in that first episode or whatever um, yeah uh yeah the recovery room is all haunty uh but is it good or bad we don't know uh because yeah. <laughs> yeah we get spence you, know, you mentioned he hears the crackle and this voice calling his name and the door's yeah, locked what the hell and man the voice says it has something it wants to tell him it's like spence listen but instead, you know, he goes to Mark to unlock the door, which it's not actually locked. And Mark opens it and the room is empty. And then I was like, why isn't Spence bringing this up to the Midnight Club? It seems, it seems like a, a good candidate for someone reaching out from the other side, right? Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's like there's literally a voice that said, Spence, listen. <laughs> I wonder if he recognized it because he didn't, like, I don't know if he recognized it, if he was just spooked by someone saying his name and in that circumstance, but I wonder if. I didn't, it, I mean, it didn't sound familiar, feel, uh, familiar to me, so I don't know if yeah. uh, he recognized who it was or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, again, another uh, Amesh with his desperate need to applaud Sandra's story. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, first, they're like, let's make sure that uh, Spence is okay with this story first. Then you can clap if he's okay with it. Uh, <laughs> Good we got stuff. his back. Uh, and then Anya, just to talk kind of her a little bit. I love a good strong pun game. <laughs> her Orphine moment. <laughs> it's like, and then the way she just jokes back, you know, because uh, Alonka's like, you really need to be careful. And she's like, oh yeah, with with strong puns like that, I know. Lord Michaels will be coming for me. It's like, yeah, SNL, watch out. Here comes Anya. Uh, <laughs> but that scene does show that her dependency on like self medication and overdoing drugs could actually start becoming a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, she was high. Yeah, when she arrives in the library, she is pretty out of it and it only goes downhill from there through the rest of the night yeah. So, yeah but i do relate to her always looking for the joke i get it i <laughs> i kind of live my life the same way uh but yeah she's in pretty rough shape by the end of the episode she's heavily medicated 
just bumping her way back to her room. She ends up at that recovery room door first. Very ominous. Uh, comes in contact with like the living shadow in a way. I mean, she sees the shadow behind her in the window of that room. As you notice that, like, as she's turning her head, that shadow's staying completely still behind her. Ugh, yes. And then, yeah, when she gets back to her room, then it's in much more detail. Is absolutely horrifying and sad because we see the state that she's left in at the very end of the episode before credits. I hope this isn't the end for Anya. It doesn't look great right now. Um, I know. <laughs> where we're left. So, yeah, I don't know. It just makes me very nervous but interested to watch the next episode as quick as i can because like, i have to know yeah i have to know what happens to anya i'm very scared for her um because yeah she had a lot of medication and i worry mm-hmm. about her doing too much and that killing her mm-hmm. although i can't blame her for taking a little extra i mean the kids have been through it mm-hmm. you know is it responsible no probably not but, uh, you know, I understand where she's coming from. Yeah. Totally, you know, she's living with a terminal illness and um, fighting it on her own. And she's got some things to work out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really scared for her. And um, Yeah, and this is the 90s, so she doesn't have any way of uh, getting legal drug pain medication, you know, mm-hmm. pain management. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not quite legal yet, so yeah, got to do what she's got to do. That's a little more readily available for um, people with illnesses like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I we definitely got to find out what happens to her when we wrap this. Um, yeah, she was one of my points too. When she she was so scared there by the time she got back to her room, and when she was saying, "I'm still here, I'm still here," oi. Mm-hmm. That got me too. That got me in the feels. Um, so I'm very nervous for her. Because I know when she's pretty out of it, the, one of the first things I think the first thing she says when she rolls up to that recovery room window and she sees her reflection, she says, "Already gone." But then when she's up at her room, she's kind of going the opposite way. She's telling herself, "No, I'm still here." Yeah, I I really do adore Anya. I love her with each episode. So I'm. Mm-hmm. Hoping she's still with us in the next. Um, I had, well, that was one of my notes too. Did you have any more notes? I'm sorry. Before I go on. Uh, no, that's it. That's okay. all I've got. The only one that I have that we haven't already talked about was, did you notice the cute little flirting between Natsuki and Amish? Yeah. <laughs> uh, when they were uh, sending uh, Kevin off to his prom and she gave him a little flirty flirt, you know, talking about, well, why do they call it necking? You know, of all the places. And then she gives him a little wink. And takes right. off, and he's like, "Huh? Was that? <laughs> you know?" <laughs> you can see Spence being like, "Don't read into it." Like, <laughs> but he will. <laughs> Spence is just being negative. Let, uh-huh. let them have a little fun. Um, mm. But yeah, I thought that was that was kind of cute. So, wonder if anything uh-huh. will will come of that. Maybe the next few episodes. Uh, and I think that is all my notes so i think that's a good place to end it um let's move on to listener feedback so the first one we have is from don elizabeth says i really enjoyed this one that basement room is so creepy did julia jane stay there or are we being led to think so is shasta julia are we being led to think that also so many questions i really like alanka and kevin's relationship but then again What is that really about? Especially since he never mentioned a girlfriend. 
I really don't like shows like this that keep me guessing. <laughs> While I didn't really like this week's ghost story, I understood why she told it. I caught the not compulsory in both therapy and the story. I have a feeling that the stories may really be tied to all the kids in some specific ways that we haven't fully seen yet. Now on to the biggest part for me. Anya. I'll be so bummed if she is dead. It was very difficult for me not to watch the next episode. Did her shadow really kill her? That is horrifying in itself, that your own shadow could do that. Or was it her mixing her opioids with the wine that did it? As we could see all how, as we could see, or, uh, sorry, <laughs> as we could all see how affected she was on her way back to her room. So why was her wheelchair tipped over? If the shadow did her in, I don't think that that would be necessary, but perhaps she had a violent seizure and toppled over. If this is all tied in with the spirit voice speaking to Spencer from Tristan's room. We really didn't see anything of Tristan before she died, so I don't think it's fair that her ghost could be the one to come back. Can't wait to see the next episode. Mm, all good thoughts, Dawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maureen Favo says, Callouts on four. Um, this episode has some of the best one-liners. While, while taking on some deeper debates and emotional confusion, such as religion, faith, and love triangles, and jealousy, and most importantly, prom. Love immediate pickup after episode three. Uh, Amish going straight into narration. Perfect. Cult clubhouse equipped with bed, cloaks, tools for blood sacrifice. Oh, and membership book. Anya, Kevin, Alonka so curious to stick it out. Shasta pointing Alonka to library and Dewey Decimal. Oh no, Spence. And what was up with isolation room and speaker? Liked Sandra's story in spite of corny language. Up until weak motive and missed landing. Angel porn. Ha ha. Another cliffhanger. Oh no, not Anya. Cool shadow skeleton with her whisper of I'm still here. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. We've got this one here from Cindy Barrick. It says, is it bad that Anya is my favorite character? Every worst thing she says makes me like her more. Probably says more about me. <laughs> Well, if that's the case, then I'm right there with you, because it's always like, I can't tell you my favorite. Like, I, I know I, I give Kevin a lot of props, but Anya's right there, too. Mm -hmm. So she's definitely a favorite of mine. So if it makes you a bad person, then I'm right there with you. Me, too. <laughs> I really love Anya. She is probably, it's hard to, to choose, but she's probably like my top two at this point. Uh-huh. Yep. All right, we got an email this week from our good friend Daphne. She says, Hi, Rima and Paik. I really enjoyed your last episode. Keep up the amazing coverage. Just a few thoughts. I appreciate the additional characters that Flanagan added to his interpretation. They add so very much, uh, so much to every episode. The conversation between Sandra and Spencer about God was really intense. I think that Sandra is right about letting the light into dark spaces, but there is light beyond God and religion. Who is Shasta? I have a theory, but I'm keeping it to myself for now. Here are a few book things. Sandra's story is from Gimme a Kiss, another novel by Christopher Pike. This one I also read and loved getting to see it presented, even in this shorter form. I'm wondering how many more will be taken from the Midnight Club book, or if Flanagan will include more of Pike's novels as part of the Midnight Club stories. Pike was inspired to write The Midnight Club in 1994 after a young cancer patient asked him to write a story about her and the patients in her cancer ward who had started a club where they read his books at midnight. Ooh. Um, more to come as the story unfolds. Daphne. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. I love the little insights. Thank you, Daphne, for um, providing that. 
All right. And we got a voice message this week from Jade. Let's see what she has to say. Hey, Remit and Paik. Okay, so this week, I want to do something a little different. I want to clarify what I mean about the show's dialogue when I said it was cheesy, because after <laughs> listening to your last episode, I thought about this. Like, I really thought about this, you know, longer and harder than I probably should have. But I like to challenge myself instead of just, you know, passively watching a show. Because with all of the disposable content that's just flying around in our brains these days, every now and then, I think it's healthy to check in, you know, and ask yourself, do you like this? You know, how does it make you feel and why? Like, really why? <laughs> and Mike Flanagan always puts me in a tough spot because there's always things to really love. But if I'm honest, not everything always works for me. So, okay, so let me first say, I love poetry. I am a theater actor. I love the classics. I love Shakespeare and long monologues and heightened language. I just love words, obviously. <laughs> Um, and Mike Flanagan is a master of words. There's no denying that. But he's hit or miss with me in his dialogue of his shows because the dialogue doesn't always blend with the overall vision of the show as a whole. In Midnight Mass, for example, it did the whole way through. I loved the, the long speeches and the philosophizing. You know, it challenged me to think about my own beliefs, and the dialogue really served to completely immerse me in that world. Every character was able to naturalistically take on this heightened way of speaking just seamlessly from scene to scene throughout, beginning to end. It worked. In Bly Manor, for the most part, same deal. I didn't always feel like every character existed in the 80s, but it didn't matter because in this country mansion, they were like in their own little slice of time, you know, and every character existed in the same world with the same energy and their waxing poetic never felt really cheesy or awkward, mostly, not always, but mostly in Bly Manor. I, I just wasn't even aware of the heightened language, which means it worked. So what I'm saying is when dialogue is in any way heightened or noticeably different from our everyday colloquial speech, it's okay if it all feels of a piece of the entire world that we're presented with. In Midnight Club, I feel like we're bouncing from naturalistic conversational ways of speaking to not so much poetic, but stilted. And I think that stilted is the best word to describe it, meaning you know, stiff, self-conscious, unnatural, awkward. But when I think about it, I was wrong because the example of the scene I used last week with Robert Longstreet's janitor character is actually a bad example of this. I really did like that scene as an individual scene because Robert Longstreet's, he's, he acts the shit out of everything. He understands how to use language. And once I got 15 seconds into the scene, I was in the world. I was taken on a visual journey of the images he was painting. And the scene actually does really work on its own. The reason I initially thought to call it out is because in conjunction with the rest of the episode, it just didn't quite match up. It, it pulled me out of it because the words all of a sudden felt precious in a way. And I was reminded for a second that I was watching acting because the language was just so noticeably different from the rest of the episode. I didn't not like it. It was just tonally jarring. 
which suddenly reminded me of the fact that I was, you know, watching actors. However, Robert Longstreet being fucking awesome, he just got it to work because within seconds I was like, okay, I know who this character is. It was clear the purpose he was serving and I was right back in Natsuki's position, feeling for her as I learned things from this kindly, mysterious janitor guy. Uh, So a better example of a scene that even after it got going, never worked for me was Samantha Sloyan as Shasta this week. Just from start to finish, the dialogue was stiff, self-conscious, you know, artificial, like wooden. Wooden is the best way I can describe it. I just don't know what they're wanting us to feel about Shasta as a character, and maybe that's the point. But it's pretty darn obvious that she's Julia Jane. They both have red hair, you know, the age matches up. She knows everything that a former patient of Brightcliff would know. So, okay, we're supposed to know that she's Julia Jane. Obviously, Alonka doesn't. But I'm just getting a general wash of a mood being played rather than like a real person coming through with Shasta. And it pulls me out of the show because I'm very aware that I'm watching actors saying words that are not their own. Waxing poetic is fine. Poetry ain't the problem. Not with me. But when it distracts me, it's a problem. And Samantha Sloyan is usually great with emotionally cold characters, like in Midnight Mass and even Hill House. Her energy was perfect, but I'm just not buying her as this earthy woman who's, you know, living her best witchy life, creating natural herbal remedies. I just don't buy it with her. It feels forced. It feels labored and contrived. It almost reads as sinister, and I'm not sure it's supposed to, because I think Shasta's genuinely trying to help Ilanka. Maybe. Maybe she's a sinister character and I will eat my words in the future and commend her amazing performance in hindsight. But right now, all I can see is that the language distracts me. I can like hear the script pages flipping in the distance and it just doesn't flow with the rest of the episode. I think it's her energy as an actor combined with the writing, which is not entirely her fault because Mike Flanagan's poetic language takes a lot of acting skill to play smooth on television. Theatrical writing is hard to pull off, not on a stage, but when a camera is two feet away from your face. If an actor isn't perfectly cast, it really shows because there's nothing to hide behind. And this is a prime example. Honestly, I'm sure I'm going to piss a lot of people off by saying this. And my friend told me just now, just turn your brain off and enjoy the fucking show. I know, I know. As an actor, I'm always (laughs) analyzing acting when I watch anything. It's a curse because I'm aware of actor things all the time and it hinders my ability to lose myself in the entertainment but if I was in an acting class with Samantha Sloyan watching this scene I would ask her to be bolder in her choices right now it just seems like she's playing it safe and not making a choice one way or the other you know I'm sure she did the scene many different ways I'm sure the director and the editor just decided on this take for whatever reason so it's not her fault completely but this was really the only scene in the entire episode that took me out of the show and distracted me it was definitely Definitely by far my favorite episode. I'm a total sucker for a black and white detective story. Um, also, the performances from my girl Ruth Codd, as always, amazing. William Chris Sumter killed it as Spence. Anara Simone and Iman Benson were stellar this week. And that's saying a lot because they had a tall order to fill in this episode, really having to go to dark, deep places and actually die. And they, I mean, everyone just totally delivered. This one really hit home for me. Almost no notes. <laughs> I laughed, I cried. It was really hard not to watch the next one. Um, I can't wait to hear what you guys say and break it down. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to step up on my actor soapbox and dissect, you know, the acting of this show on this very heady pedagogical level. I'm sorry for anyone who I'm pissing off, but I I definitely have a love-hate relationship with Mike Flanagan. But at the end of the day, you know, the man makes me think. So I will always keep coming back to watch what he presents.
produces. Okay, I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you, Jade. All right, awesome. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that was that was a great analysis. That was really great. <laughs> Good as always. Um, if y'all missed it, Jade and Jason both joined us um, for our first Halloween special that we just released yesterday, because yesterday was Halloween, um, to talk about the Innocence 1961 film, The Innocence, that um, mm-hmm. inspired and was adapted or Bly Manor was adapted from. So hope everyone yeah. had a chance to check that out because that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot more of Jade's really deep analytical mind on a lot of yeah. acting and filming and things on that as well, which was great conversation for sure. Yeah, really great conversation. It was a really interesting conversation and, and great conversation. And I think after I, str- I know I struggled a little bit with the film. I mean, I, I, I liked it, but it, it was it definitely had me on the fence just a little bit. And I think talking it out with, with you three uh, really, really helped me. So that was really great. So thank you, Jade. Thank you, everyone that left feedback. Really appreciate everyone's input on this show. And we appreciate your time. So next week, we will be covering episode five of the Midnight Club titled, See You Later. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) It doesn't sound very positive, does it? It kind of sounds like there might be someone on the exit on the way out. And no, I don't like that either. (laughs) Mm. Oh, man. Well, if you would like to write in and leave us a message or any other feedback, you can find all of our contact information over at podcastica.com. And while you're there, make sure to check out our other shows. So many shows. Um, Mm -hmm. Too many to list, you know. um, Andor, I know Anwen and Penny just finished Rings of Power not long ago. I Mm -hmm. definitely suggest you check them out. They put so much time and energy into that and did such a fantastic job covering um, that show with their knowledge of the lore and breaking down of the characters. Um, so good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, be sure to go check out everyone. You'll find something for everyone there at Podcastica. Right. I don't think we've mentioned it on here in a while, but Jason was just on here the other day. So, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. with Walking Dead cast, uh, mm. wrapping up kind of the final season of The Walking Dead, just a few episodes left to go. And yeah, we're reaching an end where we'll all be together to watch it together in person. And so throw it out there again for anyone who's listening, who's a fan of The Walking Dead. There's still time if you want to come and hang out with me and Rima and Jason and a bunch of other podcastica hosts and listeners and people in San Francisco and watch the walking dead finale with us podcastica.com slash T W D finale party to get your tickets information, anything you need, come hang with us. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. (laughs) It will be a huge event. I think this is, well, I mean, I know already just by the number of people that I know are coming, um, I don't have the final head count, but I know about, and it's definitely gonna be bigger than like our Game of Thrones party that we had like three, three years yeah. ago, three plus years ago, which that was such a huge event that was awesome. for all of us and amazing, mm. so much fun. So this is definitely, I can't, I can't think of a, a better way to sell, I, I, I don't know, celebrate. It's so bittersweet, right? Um, you know, the end yeah. of The Walking Dead then with 
all you guys, my people, you know, and to share that with other fans, you know, and that feel the same things that you do. So it's it's going to be an awesome event. So if you're if you're in the area and you want more information, um, follow what Pig provided, and you'll have all of it there. We would love to see yeah. you. And even not in the area, like neither of us are. But no, we're. If you want to come in? We're we're coming in like you know Thursday and Friday. A lot of different people. So if yeah. you want to make a whole weekend out of it, there's all kinds of weekend plans and hangouts and all kinds of stuff going on that whole weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of events going on. We're all doing different things and hanging out, and um, of course the event on Sunday um, for the finale itself. Yeah, a lot of us are coming in from everywhere. All over the country. Yeah. We've even got someone coming from even the more, other there's a lot side. Of international people. Yeah, we've even <laughs> got someone coming, a couple of international folks <laughs> that are mm-hmm. literally flying and hopping the ocean <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to uh, awesome. to come. So yeah. we're we're pretty excited, and we'd love love to have you. Yeah, and then yep, while you're hanging out in all the podcastica areas for all of those podcasts and even ours here on Strange Indeed, make sure you're going and leaving reviews following, subscribing, downloading, all of the great stuff that keeps us pumping up those numbers and making sure more people can hear us and give us that love. Yes, please and thank you in advance. And speaking of great podcasts, make sure you check out Pink and Daphne at Run For Your Lives. You guys had a really great October. Um, And I think you mentioned that you guys are taking a break for November. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So our last, so also, Halloween, Monday, we dropped our episode covering Halloween ends, mm-hmm. and that's kind of our, it's not really season finale because we kind of started the next season because of October, <laughs> but then now we're taking a break. So we will be back in December. I think December 2nd will be the next new episode of Run For Your Lives. So we'll be taking this month of November off, uh, but nice. you can always go back and check us out and check out old episodes. We've covered all kinds of Great stuff. Go listen to our Jaws coverage with Rima. That was a yeah. lot of fun. We've covered every single one of the like monsterverse, like Godzilla and King Kong movies. We covered all the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies. It's a lot of fun stuff over there for you to go check out. Yeah, you guys have a lot of content and a lot of great things. So no shortage of fun things to listen to while you guys are on hiatus. Totally jealous that you're getting that break and it's much needed. Nice to kind of take a step back. And a Mm -hmm. little bit of a breather, especially because we do have a pretty busy um, in a couple of weeks with the trip coming up. So I know you and I have to figure out what we're we're doing and how we're going to record with all this stuff going on. So you might see some updates from us. Look on our social media. I try to keep everyone updated as far as we if we might change our um, recording days and things like that to accommodate for uh, the trip. Because we're we're going to be gone like several days, and it's going to kind of bump into when we typically record. So um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll try and get things out as quickly as possible. But um, we might be late a little bit here and there due to travel. So we appreciate your patience. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima, and I'm Pink, and Ethan Bernard. Is strange indeed. <laughs>